Friends, welcome back to the podcast, the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and uh, this is episode number 224. And today we're sitting down with Bruce Epperly to talk about his book, The Elephant is Running. And uh, let me tell you, you have to hit pause right now and go buy this book. Don't don't get the Kindle version. You could, but I think you're going to want to highlight in the book, write in the book. Uh, what he does in this book is masterful. Uh, this is a book about religious pluralism. Uh, Bruce identifies as a Christian, but he learns, he gleans from the different wisdom traditions of the world. Uh, they make him a more complete Christian, a stronger follower of the Christ. And it's, it's a beautiful book. Okay, I'm going to open up the table of contents. Let's see here. He talks about Christianity, chapter 3. Chapter 4 is Judaism, uh, Zoroastrianism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, uh, Earth-based pagan spirituality, Native American spirituality, New Age, and new spiritual movements. He goes through all these different traditions of the world, talks about them, talks a little about their history, things like that, some of their spiritual texts. He talks about how how these things have influenced him as a follower of Jesus, and it's beautiful. I love it, and I talk about in the episode how this book is just scratching me right where I itch these days because literally right behind me I have a piece of furniture that I've I call my altar and on this altar I have a copy of the New Testament I have a copy of of the Gnostic scriptures some of the Gnostic scriptures uh, some of the books that didn't make it into the Bible I also have um, a book uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead which is a Buddhist uh, book I have tarot cards I have a uh, book of uh, from from Tao of Tao wisdom. I have so many things on this altar, and I call it my altar because it's the place that I go. Uh, I pull something off of there to hear from God, to hear from the divine, and sometimes it's from my Bible, and sometimes it's from tarot cards, and sometimes it's from a Buddhist text, and it's different things. But I see parallels running through all of these things, and I talk about this with Bruce in the episode that. It's not like one thing says one thing and the other thing says something else. Sometimes you come across that. Sometimes you might have two different ideas in two different uh, of these scriptures or two different and uh, uh, these two different wisdom paths. But more more often than not, you see an overlap, right? Like I could pick up a tarot card and see something that I just read in my Bible five minutes ago, or I just read in a Buddhist text five minutes ago, and it just it just blows my mind because it shows me that these truths aren't just wired into a particular religion or a particular wisdom path, but they're wired into the very fabric, the very fabric of our being, uh, the very makeup of the cosmos. And such a beautiful book. So you've got to get it. I mean, on the front cover, you've got Brian McLaren saying, if you are a Christian, this is the book you've been waiting for. And it's so true. Go get the book. You won't be sorry. Also, in the show, I'll put it in the show notes, but in the show notes, also my book, Rethinking Everything. Go get that too. It's, it's not too bad. I think it's a, pretty good, it's a pretty good book. It's about my spiritual journey from black and white thinking to a world of color. Patreon, buy me a coffee, two places to go to support the show financially. Uh, that's in the show notes as well. Special music, Young Citizen, a friend of mine here in North Carolina. He's doing great things in the world. He's a hip hop artist. Uh, he has some new things he's working on. So there might be some new music coming soon. Uh, but for now, uh, I'm using the same, I don't know, the same rotation, the same set list over and over again. 
so good. He's such a talented guy. So go listen to his music. He's on iTunes, Spotify, all the places. But anyway, all that to say, let's roll the tape. Episode 224, Bruce Epperly. Enjoy. I've been busy searching for you, yeah. Trying to figure out if it's true, true. Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah. This mind don't buy, don't play by the rules. I'm gonna make sure that I play my cards right. Intuition gave me signs that everything is alright. Contemplating on my moves, I'm in a fight Under pressure, feel the walls, I'm moving in, it's getting tight, getting tight. The shuffle getting real. real, I hope it lives on something good I'm all in for the kill, kill. sometimes kill. it's getting kind of scary I'm here for the thrill, decisions on top of decisions Like I chose a pill, the bottle getting kind of iffy Temptations made us presence in the air, it's kind of tempting Shortcuts after question, but it got on my attention Uh-oh, and I forgot, but did I Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're sitting down with a brand new guest. His name is Bruce Epperly, and he wrote a wonderful book called The Elephant is Running. And as I said to Bruce uh, before we hit record, uh, this book is scratching me right where I itch, so I'm excited to share it with all of our listeners. So Bruce, welcome to the podcast. I love your book, and it's an honor to share this time and this space with you. Well, it's a delight to be here, and I don't think you need calamine lotion for that itch. <laughs> I think I think this is a good itch. A good this itch. This is not eczema. This is a spiritual itch and not eczema, so go forth. It's not, not poison, poison ivy. ivy, although some might think so. That's right. So, yeah, it depends who you talk to, right? <laughs> so before we get into the book, uh, maybe take a few moments, if you could, to share with us a little bit about yourself, especially for people who aren't familiar with you on your work, who are you and what do you do? Maybe some of the highlights of your journey that brought you to this space today. Well, thank you. And, and you know, I, I just was asked to write a spiritual autobiography recently for a book series. Mm. And, and I pondered that, which side of yourself do you share to the world? <laughs> uh, when, I, when I go down to the bus stop with my grandchildren, I talk about one thing. When I'm doing theology, I talk about another. And my neighbors here in Potomac, Maryland, I talk about another. Mm. A, a good question was, was once asked by Socrates about to this young man, Phaedrus, where have you come from and where are you going? And, and uh, Phaedrus thought it was, a, Socrates was asking him to account for his day. Mm. In fact, it was a metaphysical question. Where have you come from and what's your destiny? Mm. Well, like a lot of people in the open relational and process field, um, I came out of a church home. Mm. Uh, my father was a Baptist pastor in the Salinas Valley, California. And, and we were American Baptist, but we were at the evangelical edge of the American Baptist, the conservative edge. Mm. I don't know that we were highly doctrinal, but it was definitely clear that we knew the truth and it made us whole. Mm. That, that if you made a personal confession of Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that settled it. Mm -hmm. And some of the old Baptist folks were more interested in escaping hell than going to heaven. It was sort of a sense of, you know, at least I'm not going to hell. <laughs> but I came forward to use Baptist language at about nine years old uh, for in the, during the Roundup for God. And it's uh, uh, an interesting story. The Baptists always need to be revived on a regular basis. So we had revival preachers come through quite often. Well, Leonard, Leonard, uh, Leonard Eilers was a cowboy preacher. And he had his lariat and his boots and his chaps and his big hat. 
and put your foot in the saddle, step up on the horse, the roundup for God is on. Mm. And I came forward. That's about as kitschy as you get in terms of evangelical <laughs> subculture. Yeah. Uh, I came forward at age nine. Three or four years later, my family moved to San Jose, California from the Salinas Valley, and the house of cards collapsed. I don't know exactly why. My father left the, the congregational ministry at the time. Uh, he might have been too liberal for the conservatives, but he, mm. he left the ministry. I couldn't even go to church without feeling suffocated. Mm. I would literally have symptoms whenever I went into a church building. And, and living in the San Francisco Bay Area, there were all sorts of possibilities. And I was, I probably was born a seeker. Uh, so I, I began to read Emerson and Thoreau, uh, Walt Whitman. Mm. Uh, and that led me to reading about Buddhism and Hinduism and Taoism and the I Ching. This was all in high school. Yeah. And, uh, and then, of course, it was the late 60s in the San Francisco Bay Area. And of course, I can't say anything about that because they say, if you remember the 60s, you weren't there. Uh, so so I lived through all the things that people heard and write about in the 60s and somehow or other survived. Uh, I, it equipped me to be a theologian because theology, if anything, is imaginative. Hmm. You, you can't be a theologian or for that matter, even a Christian, if you don't have an imagination. I mean, you have to think big. And... and you know, the path took me uh, to places that were good for me. But about the time of my freshman year, I, I had another strange datable conversion experience. Uh, but this was when I learned Transcendental Meditation in October 15, 1970. And it, and it marked a sea change. It, 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 it uh, brought what I was studying or what I was tripping out on internally. It became something internal to me. And lo and behold, two weeks later, I started going to church again. Uh, I think there's a causal relationship between the two of those. I, I started going to a progressive American Baptist church near the campus where questions were welcome, where the, the pastors, each of them saw, say I had two pastors, each of them saw something in me and, and pushed me toward it. Uh, mm. These were not things I was doing because of them, but because it was in me. One saw me as a theologian, and because we ended up in a class together on process theology, he was auditing, I was taking in the college. I went in that direction. The other saw me as a minister, and he was the college chaplain, and I spent later on 20 years as a university chaplain at Georgetown. I go off to, to seminary and graduate school at Claremont in the mid-70s, and in many ways, uh, the journey has gone forth and spiraled since that time. For, oh, 40 years, now more than 40 years, I've kind of been doing one of three or four things, and sometimes all four of them at once. Mm. <laughs> uh, being a university chaplain and professor, being a seminary administrator and professor, um, being a congregational pastor, uh, going from one day you're in the preparing for your sermon, the next year preparing for somebody's funeral. Yeah. Work, you're working on a book, and then you're dealing with somebody whose spouse uh, has just been uh, injured in an automobile accident, and and mm. you really learn your theology on the road there. Mm. Um, I've written quite a little bit, uh, probably more than anyone ought to. Um, <laughs> I always have. I'm always uh, now that I I've the the, the I have you have something to look forward to, Glenn. Um, 
the uh, it is said that the 60s are your most creative time and certainly has been for me and the second most creative time since I'm verging on this is the 70s. Mm. So I'm always working on something in, in spirituality or theology or practice of ministry or healing for the joy of it to answer a question for myself that I'm struggling with and hopefully to make a difference out there. Uh, so that's in a way my story. Yeah, I love that. I love what you just how you just cap that off with the idea that it's you do what you do to answer your question. And hopefully it helps somebody else. I feel like that's what I've tried to do with this podcast is to I set out to answer all these questions that I had because I grew up in this very evangelical world where I had all the answers. Everything was neatly packed in boxes. I got all my degrees and tied the ribbons on it. And then my wife had a miscarriage and it all just came tumbling down and I had all these questions and I was like, I gotta, I gotta find answers to these questions because I built my whole life around this idea of having answers. Now I've got none. I wanted to be a pastor of a church. I wanted to spend my whole life doing this and now I don't want to do it anymore. I don't know what to do. And so I set out to answer these questions and invite other people along for the journey. And that's led me to wonderful people like you. Well, and, and isn't that how it happens to many of us? Uh, we uh, It's been said that um, spirituality deals with the unfixables, right. with things that can't be fixed, yep. can't be fully known, can't be put in a formula. Uh, the, the four spiritual laws don't fit everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as, as progressive as I am, I've actually led a few people to Christ <laughs> over the last decade using the four spiritual laws minus the ones in the middle. Uh, <laughs> you know, do you believe in Jesus? Is Jesus important to you? Yeah. You're saved. That's it. Go out and live. Done. <laughs> but because some people, I believe theology is a little bit like uh, a medication mm. uh, that that you, you give the theology to the person in front of you in terms of what they need. And some people fearing for their very lives and their, their eternal destiny need to know they're saved. It may not be as existentially important to me, but I, as a pastor, it's important to me because it's important to them. Hmm. And, and, you know, when you hit the hit the, the wall with a death in your family, with a child with cancer, been there, done that, with uh, a, a death of a good friend, with uh, the your own existential life falling apart, yeah. um, you know, you look for the, the answer behind the answers that were easy. That's right. It's how it works. And then everything kind of comes down and you're faced with these questions that you've got, you've got to answer. So, so good. All right. Your book, uh, The Elephant is Running. Um, the subtitle is Process and Open and Relational Theologies and Religious Pluralism. So I have a, a ton of questions that I want to ask you, but before we get into those questions, maybe tell us a little bit about uh, this book, you know, who is it for, uh, who's the target audience and a little bit about the elephant analogy, because I've heard this analogy before but never kind of in the context in which you shared it in your books. I'd love for you to share that with our listeners. Well, yeah. And, and every so often you're proud that you came up with a new idea that you don't think anyone else has. <laughs> and, uh, 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 you know, there's a wonderful book by John Thethatomil called uh, The Circling the Elephant. And we most have come up with the elephant metaphor about the same time independently of one, one another. I mean, it's, mm. it's an old story. Mm-hmm. It's an old story. South Asia. But uh, I'll tell you that the the book is for 
a variety of people, one for the person who just wants to figure out how as a, as a person of faith, a Christian primarily, um, wants to know other religions in a positive way. Mm. Uh, I figure that we need to follow the golden rule in relationship to other people's faiths. The negatives will always come out. <laughs> Let's yeah. look at what the intent is. Interestingly enough, a couple people from other religious traditions have found this book helpful in helping them connect their religious tradition with, with a plethora of others. But for folks who are seekers, I believe it's a wonderful book for a book group at a church. Uh, it's... I think, you know, there's a handful of good, I mean, I, I you know, you, you hopefully when you write a book, it, it, it has a, some sort of audience. Uh, I think among the books, uh, it's a great seminary book. There really, there really, really isn't a book like this that actually dialogues among the people of the religions. Yeah. And then asks the question, what can we learn and what can we share and what can we do together? Um, mm. uh, and that reflects my own my, my own life story, you know, that mm. uh, I'm one of those people who's uh, strongly a follower of Jesus. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. But on the other hand, or I shouldn't say on the other hand, uh, but in addition to that, the, the Jesus or the Christ or whatever name you want to use is not particular. I don't think God's particularly particular about these things. <laughs> speaks to me in other ways yeah. you know if you want to have a you can spend the afternoon looking at photos from the web telescope or the dalai lama talking or one of my, my favorite i'm reading him in the mornings with one of my grandchildren little snippets from Thich Nhat han's book pieces every step yeah i mean you can't go wrong yeah. um and i wrote the book because it'd been it'd been waiting for a bit about 10 years i you know i get an idea and it comes out at the at the time it does it was a long pregnancy a long gestation period for this book and it came out at the right time during the covid because i started it with grad students at claremont many of whom have do are doing great things in their lives like andrew davis and sherry kling mm -hmm. were in the class that i taught that you can you probably know them from the process world yeah uh i taught this to church people about eight or nine years later and I thought to myself, hey, there's a book in here. Mm. And and really the elephant metaphor is one that's interesting. It's the traditional way you tell it is there were a group of sight impaired or blindfolded people who see this strange creature and they grab hold to it. And each one of them thinks that what it's holding on to is the only part of that elephant. Mm -hmm. Now, that should sound like that should sound at least by as a negative at first. The other aspect of it is positive because your neighbor has also grasped the elephant. Mm. And the divine is both speaking to you, speaking to them, and much more than you can imagine. Mm. Then it occurred to me somewhere along the line, uh, I guess when I was asked to teach this course at Claremont a decade ago, no elephant... It, no real elephant stands still. The elephant mm. is running. And that's really the way the world is. Yeah. Religions aren't standing still. Uh, the, the religious face of, of the United States and North America has, has radically been transformed in the last 20 years, and I would dare say in the last two years. Mm. Uh, the COVID has changed the religious face in terms of institutional participation. Yeah. 
the elephant's running, it's moving, and we hang on for dear life, and we might get the ear one day and the foot the other. And that invites us to think of a living elephant like a living religion, like a living God, as something where we never can say we've exhausted it. There's always something more to this elephant. The elephant in the room is that nobody has a copyright on God. The elephant in the room is that no one can say this is it mm. and nothing more. Yeah, and that's that's how I grew up is having a copyright on God. You know, oh, we oh have, yeah. We have, we have the corner market on God. Even our church, our denomination, whatever, like we have it and they don't. And it's like it becomes a very exclusive club. And, and, and you even you see that you see that in uh, still not as much as usual mm. for good or for ill. The prosperity gospel has infected some of the fundamentalist communities and the prosperity gospel is, is vacuous theologically. Mm. Uh, so it, <laughs> it's pure pragmatism at some level. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it just this works for me. Go try it, you know. Yeah. Uh, try it. You'll like it. Uh, <laughs> and Jesus will bless you. But certainly that was my sense. I mean, I think growing up, I remember one of my friends in conversation with a uh, revival pastor, one of the many that passed through our church and saying, you know, he's, an, he's a little older than me, said, well, you know, I got saved so I wouldn't go to hell. Mm. And to me, it brought out all the worst of our reasons for doing something. Yeah. Uh, you, you love God to get a reward. Yeah. You love God to be in the in-group. Um, I mean, I know that all of us and the popularity of fundamentalism and white nationalism is, it ha is deep down in uh, the sense of some area of security in the world of change. And, mm -hmm. and we can't argue with that. Mm -hmm. We can argue with the manifestation of it. Manifestation yeah. of it might fall under the category of what Tillich called demonic. Mm -hmm. But they, the security of not going to hell. We didn't know much about the um, furniture of heaven. We knew a lot about the the flames of hell. That's what I was. I was I was raised with knowing a lot more about hell <laughs> than I did about heaven. For sure, it's a lot more interesting. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> the sure. crowd is more interesting there at one level. If everyone in heaven was like your Sunday school teacher, then <laughs> then you weren't sure. Or C.S. Lewis would say in one of his places, some people want eternal life and they get bored on a rainy day. Right. <laughs> Just sing, sing hymns to God all day long for the rest Ooh. of eternity. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they better have a good mixer. That's right. So one of the first quotes that jumped out at me um, in your book was very early on, and it's on, it's on page five, and uh, I have it here. It says, my creative synthesis of practices from a variety of religious traditions is routine, in my daily walk as a follower of Jesus. So uh, as you kind of alluded to the book, each chapter is kind of like essentially a bird's eye view or maybe like a big picture view of a particular uh, religion or wisdom tradition that's found in the world. Uh, you go through Christianity, uh, Judaism, Hinduism, pagan spirituality, and, and so many more. I was wondering, you already mentioned this, but I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit more about how you came to this place. I think you said it was in high school where you kind of began yeah. to expand beyond your Christian ideas to explore these other faiths, because that's not something that most American churches are going to, are going to be too keen on, right? Like we've already kind of mentioned that, that 
it's, it's it tends to be a very exclusive club like it's our way yeah. or the highway but you find real value like i reading your book like i'm thinking to myself this man finds real true value in these religions and i'm just wondering kind of a little bit more detail about how you came to that place where you began to find value in these things and and and, and i may be a rare bird mm-hmm. and i've tried to as a teacher and and pastor uh educate other rare, rare birds um I think the and and I'll be just confessional here and just say where it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, the best way to encounter other faiths is to have a robust faith. Mm. One of the challenges I see in what people call mainstream or liberal or progressive Christianity, and and I fall into those categories now. Mm-hmm. Those are the churches I go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, is they don't have a deep grounding in the in the tradition of their own faith. Yeah. Um, we need robust faith and encounter with the Holy in our own tradition that then allows us to see the glimpses of the Holy elsewhere. And to me, probably some of it has been pure synchronicity. Hmm. You know, as a college first year student, you know, I saw the, the placard about transcendental meditation and I was looking for a meditation technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't like the yogas I was learning. They just didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to a meeting and said, okay, I'm going to try this. And, and and following that, all sorts of things fell on my way. I learned, picked up a book on centering prayer, Thomas Keating. Mm-hmm. I began to hear about mystics within Christianity. I didn't know there were mystics in Christianity. Mm. As a matter of fact, you know, the old saying from some of the conservatives was, if you you meditate, you're short-circuiting Jesus. You know, you got to have Jesus somewhere in it. Uh, And of course, Jesus is just fine in your meditations, by the way. (laughs) Jesus isn't going anywhere. Uh, And I I began to study other things. I found myself learning uh, first thing out of uh, grad school at Central Michigan University, new teacher, 1980, teaching a death and dying class. And I had not prepared for it. They had no training in it, but they throw throw new teachers Mm. in the deep water. (laughs) I learned about Jerry Jampolsky, who at the time was using visualization exercises with uh, children with life-threatening cancer. And from from getting to know his work, I became interested in in the New Age movement. Mm. Uh, And from that context, I became interested in Reiki healing touch, Mm. which is a form of energy work and uh, which I see as very congruent with Christian spirituality. Mm. For me, it's been a gain and not a loss. I, I, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, uh, have become more Jesus-y, to quote Annie Lamott, more Jesus-y. As I get older, and there's a lot of Jesus in that book, by the way, I, I use a, a comment from my wife, you know, as I was l- listening to my sermons when I was pastoring a church in Cape Cod and said, Bruce, you're not using much Jesus in your sermons. <laughs> of course, most progressives just go to the go to God. You know, we don't need to worry about the others in quotes. And I, I began, to, I was to quote the evangelical youth, uh, youth that I knew. I was a little bit convicted by that. Mm. Uh, you know, it gave me a second thought. And I said, well, where, I began to think, well, where does Jesus fit in personally in my life right now? Because if you, if you were born an evangelical, mm-hmm. where everything was Jesus-y, and you leave that, 
the Jesus as you knew and how they were portrayed as a, when you were a child, you don't want to go back there. Yeah. And yeah. I found a new Jesus along the way um, through the healings of Jesus. Oddly enough, Reiki brought me to the healings of Jesus, mm. which brought me to the historical Jesus, which then inspired me to write about 10 books on on various aspects of the Bible, including several on the healings of Jesus. Uh, I'm one of the few progressives who actually believe the healing stories occurred. Mm. Not as written, because how can you talk about a woman being cured of a flow of blood in, in one paragraph? <laughs> but, they're, but they're stories that, but for me, the healings are, are not supernatural. Mm. They're naturalistic. We live, you know, there's a trillion galaxies here we're dealing with. You need a big imagination. That's right. That's right. Don't say no to what's possible. And so actually my experience of Jesus is, and I was quoting that song, I come to the garden earlier on, mm -hmm. you know, I often do as one of my practices, I'm an early morning walker, five in the morning through my suburban DC neighborhood. You know, I'll, I'll think of Jesus walking beside me. Mm. And if somebody were watching me, they'd say, boy, that night, you know, boy, if they heard what I was doing, say, boy, that guy must be real evangelical there. <laughs> he must be one of those real narrow. And I, now I've realized that being an ev being evangelical has nothing to do with the politics and the theology I grew up with. It has to do with a personal relationship with the holy, however you understand that. That's right. Yeah, I think a lot of that, like, I feel like I grew up very evangelical and I grew up, I went to fourth through 12th grade Christian school, private Christian school, Bible college, seminary, pastor to church, back to seminary again. And the one thing like I picked up in my evangelical upbringing that I feel like was a really good thing was that personal relationship with God and that personal, um, that idea that God is walking beside me. God is always with me. And I feel like that is such a huge peace but that gets lost in the mix now of all the politics and all the you know very right-wing theologies and things like that i feel like that it's very easy to kind of throw the whole thing away and say well i'm just going to be well, done yeah. with all of this when in reality there are pieces in there that were very important to my upbringing that i think have really helped make me who i am today and if i could go back you know you always say if i go back in my life would i change a b and c I don't know if I would change it because I feel like it's it's brought me to where I am today. It's given me this this depth of understanding that I wouldn't have, I don't think, if I didn't have the experiences that I did growing up. And that's one thing that I think that uh, we have to take our, and a lot of folks now in the post-evangelical movement are reclaiming their roots in a different way. Yeah. Uh, my wife... Uh, uh, who's out doing Tai Chi at the local community center. Hmm. Uh, there again, some inner spirituality. Yeah. Uh, it finds me a rather humorous person to live with at times because she met me as a process theologian 40 some years ago, and I'm very much in, in, embodied a process open relational viewpoint and theologically quite progressive. But I go around the house quite often singing hymns. Uh, <laughs> these are hymns I learned 60 years ago. Yeah. And, and they're heart hymns for me. Uh, you know, they're heart hymns. Uh, mm. When I uh, had a child who was uh, uh, near to death with cancer, uh, who survived, but the only thing I couldn't even pray. 
And the two things that got me through, one was the Kyrie, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. And then after the chemo began, I I began singing Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Mm. And I began singing Great is Thy Faithfulness. That's it. That actually is a good open and relational hymn, by the way. Mm. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not about a static dead God. It's about a living God that, that I could sing about when I was walking around the hospital at daybreak, not knowing what was going to happen. Mm. And I think sometimes the progressives need to reclaim that sense that if god is the source of the possibilities of each moment heck that'll preach that's right that'll preach god has a personal relationship with you yep. and that'll preach so right. in a way process and open relational theology takes evangelical thinking where it couldn't have imagined going yeah that's so true now you you've you've mentioned process and uh, open relational theology a few times and that's obviously the subtitle of your book and our listeners are familiar with it because Thomas Ord has been kind of like the resident theologian on the show. He's been on a bunch of times. Uh, so everybody's familiar with the term, but I'm wondering if you could give us maybe just a quick refresher of what that refers to, but really how that specifically ties into your your book of you know religious pluralism here in the subtitle, this idea of other faiths and other religions being able to uh, kind of invest in our own Christianity and kind of make us better followers of Jesus. Like, how does all that tie into open and relational theology? And, and what's not to love about Tom Ward? Right. <laughs> uh, Tom has really, I, I need to give applauded. I mean, one of the, a good theologian yeah. uh, is always aware of how good their co colleagues are. Tom's a younger colleague, but he has really defined open relational thought in a way that's approachable to people. Yeah. I used his books routinely as seminary textbooks. And yeah. uh, uh, and for me, the I, I call it process relational open theology or open process and relational <laughs> Something. theology. Something. Put doesn't all the words in there. Difference. Yeah, whatever. It <laughs> doesn't make any difference. Right. For me, the things that stand out uh, are that we are dealing with in a dynamic God in a dynamic universe for whom God and us have a future ahead of us that's not quite known. Mm. That that God, a living God, I mean, my main argument with the people who think God is unchanging or that God's omniscient in the classical sense of, of knowing everything in one glance is that's not a living God. Yeah, that uh, God can't change. If God can't change, God's less alive than I am. And one of the things that's powerful about being you and me is that we change. And, and I'm I'm a biblical person too. Uh, morning by morning, new mercies I see, and God's mm. mercies are new every morning. Remember singing that song with intervarsity people. <laughs> <laughs> new mer new every morning, and that means God's new. Yeah. And our religion is new and that that open and relational thought. Uh, and I have a quote from one of Tom's books about somebody who he had been talking to about other religious traditions. And they said, well, you know, I think this makes it possible for me to think there's truth in other faith traditions, mm -hmm. that, that God is not limited by our religious experience of God. Our religious experience of God is sufficient. Uh, if if salvation is what you're thinking about here. I think it was Clark Pinnock years ago, 
and Clark Pinnock's kind of the the grandparent of all this at some level mm. uh, said, you know, speaking of, of salvation, he said, well, there's the, the salvation that you know the truth. And he he's much more of an absolutist than I, I am. Mm. There's also the salvation that's simply God's grace, that God's grace encompasses us, whether or not we get it right. Right. That's right. And all paths end up being paths that are not entirely straight to the de destination we're hoping mm -hmm. uh we have to depend on a god for whom our lives are open a god who hasn't got it all figured out for us a god who like the good parent uh lets the rope out again mm -hmm. I, I i'm both a parent and grandparent and uh you know with the grandchildren now i'm reliving the process at 10 and 12 how letting them get to become more agents all the time yeah uh letting to letting them decide things not deciding say you know and they're sort of you know sometimes surprised i'll say well uh, here's four things i think we could do today which do you want to do mm. and occasionally it surprises them i think that's the way god works that there's there's several things that are really good possibilities that's right in this moment in time and I and 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 choose your own adventure, as the books used to said. Choose your adventure because I'll come back at you the next minute, yeah. and the next, <laughs> and the next, and the next. And that I I like to see the future omniscience uh, uh, in terms of what uh, Theodore Parker called the moral arc of history. Mm. Um, uh, the moral arc of history, or I've added to that, the moral and spiritual arc of history, is aiming us individually and corporately forward toward for lack of a better word shalom the realm of god mm. the kingdom of god the kingdom of god however you want to say it it's aiming there there's no guarantee it'll get there in our time mm -hmm. we have to become as as uh teresa avila says uh the hands and feet of god we have to be the ones who act as if we are pushing this forward because in fact we are that's right. That doesn't mean that God's on the sidelines for, for open and relational theology. God's in the mix. Yeah. God's in the mix, gaining and losing, gaining and losing. But, you know, God's like the Energizer Bunny, you know, takes a lick and keeps on ticking. God's not going to ever be defeated by the process. God's the is the movement of the process within all things. The moral art abides, to quote the big Lebowski. It's, you know, when I was thinking about you know, before I mentioned my, when my wife had a miscarriage and that kind of opened up the doors to all these questions, like I came from this world and I was in this world at that time where I just believed that God drew up the blueprint and yeah. went to bed. <laughs> I took a nap, you know, because like the blueprints there, this is the way it's all going to unfold and I'll be there with you, but this is all for my plan. And I remember like when we got the news that we had lost the baby you know, just that that thought, like, how in the world, God, could you draw up a blueprint? How, how could you make this our blueprint? This does not make any sense. Then I started to ask questions about, like, how could rape be somebody's blueprint? How could yeah. child you know, be molested? How could that be their blueprint? How yeah. If you're all powerful, how in the world could you just sit there and allow this stuff to happen? Because it's part of your plan. Like, all these questions came racing in. And when I connected with Tom Ward and I read his book, God Can't, and I got to ask him some questions, you know, one of the things I felt like God said to me is that the miscarriage, I didn't see that coming. 
I didn't, I didn't see it coming, but it did. And yeah. I'm here with you in it. And then all of a sudden, instead of seeing God as this far away or this high being with a pen drawing out all the different details, I saw God as a friend who was sitting with me and my wife on the bed, weeping with us as yes. we tried to process through what we were grappling with. And that just brought an entirely different dimension to my spirituality, which then opened me up to many different other things. I'm like, well, maybe there's other ways to think about all of this stuff. And maybe it's not just, maybe Christianity doesn't have the corner market and how all of this stuff works. Maybe we can branch out a little bit, maybe look into the history of the Christian faith. They can like the Gnostics. Yes. I was always told stay away from the Gnostics because they're so yeah. dangerous, but there's like 200 years. There's like those early centuries of Christian faith. Like there's so many different ways that people thought about things. Yeah. Let's see what they thought and let's see what makes sense to me now. And let's adopt some of that stuff and bring it in. And that's, that's what all this open relational talk has done. Well, yes, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, uh, you know, when somebody still uses the term, oh, I'm an Orthodox Christian, I often <laughs> sort of say, well, which one? Right, exactly. Which one? Because in the history of Christianity, <laughs> somebody's ancestor has been excommunicated or seen as a heretic. That's right. Almost everyone has an ancestor who's been a heretic yeah. by some other Christian who believed that they had the only and right way. Yeah. Uh, I have no truck, by the way, with the... Uh, with Trump Church, or as what I call it, Trump Church, or the mm -hmm. or the white nationalist Christians, I have no truck with them theologically. Uh, what ties me to them such that I don't demonize them, even though I oppose them, mm -hmm. they're different between opposing and demonizing, Sure, is that they are wanting the stability of an earlier era. And there are times when you just want to be a kid again. Yeah. And they want a clear, sheer answer in a world where in the last 20 years now gays get married, uh, in which there's diversity in our country. Their response, by my way of thinking, is the wrong one. Mm. Uh, I think that open relational process thought follows one one uh, sort of counsel of Alfred Whitehead. You know, the higher organisms uh, initiate novelty to match the novelty of the environment. Mm. And in a way, I did that with the book, too, uh, that the novelty of, of pluralism caused Christians, at least some Christians, to be novel in the way they understand Christianity, that they, they, we aren't tied and should not be tied to, to the old language or the old concepts, but should explore and even anticipate what's around the bend. Right. Uh, I always felt that they there probably needs in every cabinet department to in the in the executive branch to have a have a, a assistant secretary for anticipation of what we can't imagine mm. and another one assistant secretary for shit happens <laughs> right. uh, the worst we can imagine <laughs> and the best we can imagine yeah. So that we're planning on both ends of the thing. The novelty of our world calls us to not be novelty. It doesn't call us to either deny it, which is, I think, what goes on in the white nationalists and, and, and MAGA Trump Christians. Mm. Denial or maybe it's a form of hopelessness that mm. they know that their cause is lost, yeah. but they're they're going to hold on to it as long as they can. Going to go down swinging. Yep. 
All right. Last question for you, Bruce. Um, in the book, like we said, you talk about all these different faith traditions, all these different wisdom paths. Um, I'm curious as to which one of those paths has made the biggest influence on your uh, Christian faith. So obviously taking out Christianity and Judaism, because it's kind of the the yeah. sister, the mother religion of Christianity, but which of the other ones has really influenced you and and how? Well, you know, I thought of that, and I thought that thought, thought this is a very provocative question, and and uh, not being one to just have a one course meal, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to the the you know the price fix here theology where you get four or five different things. Uh, historically, Hinduism probably the introduction to transcendental meditation that then opened up all this other stuff. Uh, in terms of Christian mysticism and centering prayer, is pivotal. The encounter with the New Age movement that awakened me to Reiki healing touch, and then the healings of Jesus as something I can affirm and uh, uh, as pivotal in daily life. It's interested in daily life. I find myself living between the the two poles of. Confucianism, or as people call it now, Ruism, at least a certain group saw that Ruism as being more proper mm. and non-Western, and Taoism. Mm. I'm one of these guys who's Confucian in the sense that I like to have my list. I like to live very intentionally. Uh, I, li I like to have a, a, an intention for, for the day and for each day. Mm. That's the Confucian way, to have a, a sense of the order to the universe. Mm. The Taoist way is what I'm embracing more, and I'm not really retired, but I just am not working for anyone but myself. Mm -hmm. So that's the um, the Taoist way is to kind of go with the flow, mm. to realize that most of the things that I deem urgent, I've chosen them to be urgent, mm. and that book, if it never gets written, that'll be okay. Mm. The that project that I'm doing. Well, you know, if a, if a child wants to play with me at that time or get my attention, that's the thing I should do. In a way, it's, I've become very enamored of Mark's gospel. Uh, you know, the first 10 chapters of Mark's gospel, Jesus is just blown around like a leaf. <laughs> you know, it's a travelogue. And, and he, he may, as, as uh, the civil rights movement says, have, have his eyes on the plot prize. I'm sure he does have his eyes on the prize. But he just, wherever somebody points him, he goes there. Yeah. You know, he runs into this woman. He runs into this person. Somebody digs a hole in his roof. He deals with that. He He's goes to this dinner, side of the somebody sea, that side of up. the sea. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that, and that's a way to live, to have that sense yeah. of intentionality. And then say, hey, this is what's happening in this moment. I've got to let go of that. Yeah. I think that's rather Jesus-y, actually. Yeah. <laughs> that's really that's really interesting because you would think on, on the surface that there are two opposite ways to live. But in reality, you can bring them both together and you can live them both at once. Because like, that's a perfect illustration is Jesus constantly going, like we said, back and forth over the seas on this side is on that side is going up the mountain is going here is going there. But every time he goes somewhere, he has that intentional focus in the moment that he's in to deal with the thing that it's put in front of him. And, and in many ways, it's a little bit like proficiency with anything. Uh, jazz, 
you can't improvise in jazz unless you know the notes. Mm. In his heyday, uh, Tiger Woods could hit a ball off it from in the opposite direction and it'd come back over his head. Mm. Improvising based on the structure, you know, so yeah. they need one another. Yeah. You know, and it's something that we need in our churches the ability to improvise, but also the just enough structure, yeah. and and uh, uh, what the what the improvis improvisation brings is a sense of of spaciousness. Mm. Uh, we do really have more time than we think to do what's important. That's right. That's right. So good, Bruce. We're just about out of time, but this has been uh, a lot of fun. So thank you for taking the time to join me, and uh, thank you for this book. It's wonderful. It's been a joy. Thank you. And real quick, do you want to point our listeners anywhere on the interwebs to find you? Because I'd like to interact. Okay, more I think with your right work, now so. I'm in the process of rebuilding a website. So the best place to catch <laughs> me and, and, and to, is to uh, just uh, follow me on Facebook or just mention you watch this show and uh, friend me on Facebook. So I don't know you're a some sort of drone or something from somebody from <laughs> russia wanting to be a my bot. new friend right <laughs> yeah so so uh, uh feel free to do that i'm fairly regular on so that social media platform excellent well i'll put your links in the show notes and we'll do this again because i got more questions thank you so much i'd love it excellent thank you yeah. wake up get your morning started drinking daily coffee got this money on my mind Got myself to see the big picture. You not alone, I'm right there with ya. Trust me, get up. Guess I gotta be more stricter. Keep my head up, getting more slicker. I know, yeah. Gotta move my feet, put in the motion. I know that every door I walk up to is bound to open. Wish it all could be so easy, I insert a token. Hit that thing on both sides, if the size is broken. Move on, oven cooking, I be on the slope. Grind anything I put my mind up to, I bound to be mine. Best to get it by my way. Follow suit and follow the line. Hope you got it, hope you get it. Go and check the guidelines, yo. Wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. See the sunrise, beauty all in the sky, so really wipe all my cries. Haven't felt this in the wild, man. I can't even lie. Living one day at a time, man. I'm just getting by. Job is stressing me with all the nonsense. Can't stop it. Quitting, then I'm on my own terms. Make a profit. Making sure I'm counting every penny in my pocket. Chessing ain't no checkers on my moves. That's a promise. Just keep it real, bro. That's all that I know. Waking up at crack of dawn, time not getting slow. Keep it moving, I'ma do the same. Need a for broke. Before I blossom, gotta pack up all my seeds on the low. Let's go. Yeah, keep it moving, I'ma do the same. Need a for growth. Yeah. Before I blossom, gotta pack up all my seeds on the low. Let's go. Wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind.